Internet privacy is becoming more and more important these days, and using a VPN in general is the best way to ensure you've got it. And ExpressVPN has everything you'd ever want and need in a VPN, and more. I've tried other VPNs, but once I started using Express months ago, I've never looked back. ExpressVPN works on nearly every computer, tablet, and mobile device, and contains a huge network of servers, over 3,000 spanning 94 countries, with great speeds. You can use it to unblock popular online services like Netflix and Facebook, and they value your privacy more than anything. There are no activity or connection logs, and they use PWC-audited servers to confirm compliance with their privacy policy. They are just fantastic, and I could not be more happy to be partnered with them. So if you are interested in trying it out, you can go to expressvpn.com slash clancypasta, or click the link in the description for 3 months free when you order a 12-month subscription. Using my link, you get an awesome deal, and it helps me out a ton as well. Alright, so without further ado, here's the episode. Hello, hello everybody. I hope you are having a good day. I hope your night's going well. And welcome to another episode of Clancy Pasta. I hope you all enjoy the first story of the night, It's Upstairs, by Benji Buckley. We were very close with my mother's side of the family, always have been, all Irish. When my auntie still lived here in London, we'd visit them at least once a week. We were close. The memories I made with my cousins are ones I will forever carry with me. It wouldn't be long, however, before they would be forced to move back to the county Waterford, south of Ireland. My uncle-in-law was a struggling laborer with a stay-at-home wife, so it was for the better. It was hard, but they were happy. Well, I suppose apples don't fall too far from the tree. Merely a few years later, my family would follow suit as a consequence of similar circumstances. It was either this or inevitable eviction. The decision was made within a week, and just like that, we packed our bags and left. The trip took almost the entire day, driving from London through Wales to board the ferry. It was an exciting but uncertain prospect. We would get to see our cousins again, but in a land we didn't understand. It was a new life. Of course, there was my mother and father, and my older brother, my younger sister, and finally, me. I must have been no older than ten years old at the time. Oh, and I can't forget about our only pet, Spidey. He was a small tabby cat brimming with spunk and personality. I was never a cat person, but he loved people. He had the habit of climbing the living room drapes like the web-slinger himself. I swear, every time we came back from school, we'd catch him doing it. It was adorable. Anyway, I remember it was a hard time smuggling him onto the ferry. His animals weren't allowed, but my dad somehow managed. Exhausted. We arrived at the port to be greeted by our auntie as we embraced in tender elation. We drove back to their place for the night before making our way to our new home the next morning. Again, this is Waterford. This is as country as it gets. Rolling glades and hillsides, fields which span beyond compare. The odd few houses were dotted through intertwining paved roads and pine trees. It was remote, but pristine. It felt earthly. 
it felt home. Town was a wild drive, though. We admittedly got lost once or twice, but we eventually found ourselves pulling up to the right address. Through the cobblestone driveway, standing outside the tattered bungalow, was an older woman. She didn't seem worse for wear, quite spry for her age, in fact. Although she was small, she stood up straight with little gray to be seen. She smiled and greeted us. Morning. The name's Peggy. You must be that Devereaux family. She was our new landlord who made a living as a floral decorator a few doors down. Lovely woman. She urged us inside to give us a tour of our new home. My sister huddled by my mother's side in all times as Peggy chatted constantly. They went in as I followed behind them, but my brother and dad insisted on staying outside to check the garden together. The interior was ancient. Flimsily painted cream walls clad with warped wooden frames around the doors. The wood was aged and breaking with tiny holes and slits in each panel. We walk into the narrow hallway. Peggy, Mum, and Sis walk straight ahead into the kitchen. I stay behind to inspect the wood, running my fingers through each and every crack I could find as a fun little game. I can't say why I was doing it. I was bored shitless, I suppose. Curious? I just felt like maybe I'd find something. I did. On the left of the hallway was the living room door frame. I stuck my finger in one of the slits to the side, and I feel something caress my finger. I grip it and pull it out. A small black and white photograph. A man stares back at me, smiling. His grin was warm with large cheeks concealing his eyes. I could only see from below the collar that he wore what seemed to be a dark fleece as he donned a flat cap upon his head. I couldn't make anything out in the background. It was almost completely black. It was only a simple picture, yet it felt stilted somehow. The man was clearly smiling, his lips joined ear to ear with crooked teeth intact, yet this sense of unbridled unease persists. It's just that, well, when a person smiles, you'd assume they're happy, right? So when I look at him, why do I not see it? It's the eyes. Yeah, that was it. His face, so puffed and wrinkled, kept his beady eyes hidden beneath his brow. I couldn't look at his eyes, but I knew he was looking back at me. What's even stranger is that it was in immaculate condition. It was very clearly old given the nature of its quality, but the corners were still fresh and sharp. Aside from a little dust, it was as if it had remained completely untouched for decades. Who is this? When was this taken? Why was this here? Somebody would have needed to intentionally lodge it in here, but why here? I continued to inspect it, and as I turned the photo around to see the back, I see writing, Gaelic, sprawled in thin black ink. Tasse Thuistire. Now, I was very young. Even back then, I didn't really question any of this. The house was apparently vacant for a while before we showed up, and I recall my parents saying that Peggy would occasionally upkeep the house during that time, but that was it. My dad and brother come in soon after and ask me what I think of the place. As my brother runs to see our new bedroom, I show my dad the photo I found. 
He easily dismisses it and tells me that it's best to just put it back where I found it. In hindsight, I should have confronted Peggy about it, but instead I just inserted it back into the slit in the wooden frame. I forgot that it even existed within a few minutes. My brother and I shared a room as my parents shared another. Upstairs led to a single room with one solitary bed. No windows, no light. Everything was made from the same mangled wood from the floorboards to the walls. It stank up there. My sister could have taken the room upstairs, but she really didn't like it up there. Dad even offered to give it a makeover, but she was adamant about not going up there. She slept in my parents' room instead. Peggy gave us the keys and left us to our own accord. We settled in rather quickly. My brother and I went to the same school as our cousin, so it made weekdays something to look forward to. Our school was incredibly Catholic, as you can imagine. We were never baptized as babies, so we got that out of the way. I vividly recall spending time alone in the church after school. Nobody was there but me, just in this derelict void with nothing but hymns reverberating around me. I didn't have a particular fascination for it, but... I waited there until my parents came to pick me up. I prayed sometimes. I can't remember what for, but I did. I would kneel down, I would close my eyes, and pray. My sister went to a nursery as my dad went to work, leaving mom home alone most of the week. Well, her and Spidey. Spidey was a weird one. There weren't many other animals around, save for the neighbor's dog. But when I say neighbor, I mean the people that lived like three fields away from us. He was mostly an indoor cat anyway, only going outside every so often. Whenever an animal inhabits a new space, they usually act overly cautious, but Spidey adopted this strange new habit. He would sit at the bottom step of the stairs and gaze up at the door, staring. He would never go up to that room. He would never go beyond that first step. He would just sit on that bottom step and stare. We know cats. They have that distinct look of alertness as their pupils swell up. It was like he was entranced by something. It became such an occurrence that if he wasn't either outside, sleeping on the couch, or waltzing in the kitchen begging for more food, we'd all just collectively surmise, yep, he's on the stairs again. And, well, he was. Almost every time, he was there. That was the first thing. The second thing was with Mum. Being at home a lot, she'd always need to keep herself occupied, whether it be watching TV or talking on the phone. Coming home from school one day, I remember her telling us that she heard the doorbell ringing, only to find nobody at the front door. It's also important to mention that, well, the doorbell was broken. It was broken before we even moved in. It's a small thing, I know, seemingly inconsequential, but it was distinct enough to make her answer the door and real enough for her to be anxious all day until we came back. It happened once and only ever once, but after that, we tried to ring the doorbell countless times. We never could. Because of how dated the house was, it was always usually rather cold, especially at night. I remember how hard it was to sleep sometimes. My brother had it the worst. He developed a pretty severe case of insomnia quite rapidly. 
He always claimed that he had terrible nightmares whenever he did fall asleep. He never really spoke about the contents of those dreams. One night, I hear his voice calling out to me from beneath his covers. He's on the verge of tears. There's something in the closet. I didn't think. I was rendered into panic as seconds escalated into both of us screaming. Mom rushed in and turns on the light to meet us sniveling into our pillows. What's wrong? Needless to say, we spent the night sleeping by her side, all of us in one room. My brother was slightly less petrified in the morning and explained to her that there was somebody in the closet looking at him. We don't go back into the bedroom until she does. She goes in to find that the closet door was open. Next, my sister. Oh god, how old was she? Maybe six? At this age, children always say and do crazy things, but she went through the phase of an imaginary friend. She'd begin talking to herself, having a back and forth with inanimate objects in her hands, miming things. She'd always return home from nursery a couple hours before us, and occasionally mum would let her play out in the garden under her supervision. She'd hide away in the bushes and mumble to herself most of the time. This didn't last for that long. She'd seemingly dropped it all and went back to playing with her toys. But from then on, she much preferred to play by herself in the room upstairs. Spidey went missing. I remember how heartbroken we were. We had pets before him, but we were too young to acknowledge them. So Spidey, in a way, was our first real family companion. He was young and healthy. He had long settled in since we moved. He didn't ever go near our neighbor's dog. We'd even asked if they saw him. Nothing. Cars weren't frequent enough for him to get run over, but even if he did, we'd know it, given how rural the area was. He never strayed too far from home, yet none of us could find a trace of him. About a year has passed now. My dad's relatives came over to visit us for the first time, so we slept in the extra bed upstairs. He did this for a week. I remember him saying how dreadful that week was. The door would always just open sometimes, so the cold would trickle in. I remember him ranting about the noises, notably the sound of horses and carriages right outside our house with ringing bells. You could never sleep because of how loud it all was. The rest of us never heard anything. There was no noises, so he must have been getting some sort of sleep to have dreams like that, surely. And the stench. Oh, the stench. From the floor, from the walls, seeping through the cracks and the holes. When his relatives went back home, he fell with a bad flu and had some unspeakable fever dreams. Dreams where he would do awful things in that room, where he wasn't himself. I don't know what he meant. Time went by, he got over it, and it was never mentioned again. We were moving back to England. My dad had a falling out with my uncle-in-law and quit his job. Our bags were packed with the van ready outside. I don't know why, but I remembered it. The photo. I don't know, I think it was because I was giving the house one final goodbye, and it took me back to the moment when I first walked in. I guess it just triggered something inside my head. I found myself at that same exact spot next to the living room doorframe. 
I stick my finger into the slit to the side. Nothing. It was gone. It didn't fall out. It couldn't have. It was in there. Somebody must have taken it out. The only person who I told was my dad, but he was too concerned with preparing the move to care about this. Maybe mom found it while cleaning and threw it away. Maybe Peggy took it before she left. What if she placed it in here before taking it again? But if she did, why? Why in such an inconspicuous place? I'm 23 now. We were in that house for a little over a year. Every now and again we'd call back on our experiences there. We never found out what happened to Spidey. My sister never recalls having an imaginary friend even though mom was convinced that she was captivated by somebody else. I always thought that my brother just had a sleep paralysis ordeal whenever he mentions the whole closet thing, but he insists that somebody was in there looking at him. Nothing like that ever happened to him again. We never did get that doorbell fixed, nor did we ever hear it again. My dad hated it upstairs. We all did. Something happened to everyone else but him. Like, I considered myself lucky. Perhaps that time I spent in the church as a kid had some sort of positive effect on me. Whatever. I never believed in any of this anyway. I'm too superstitious, just like my dad. So I just bet it all on that. But even he had something. So I salvaged what buried memories I had left. The only thing that came to mind was the photo. I asked dad, but he doesn't recall. Of course not, it was such a brief moment. I ask mom, but she doesn't know what I'm talking about. Neither do my siblings. That day, all those years ago, I stumbled upon that photo by chance. Even now, I doubt anyone else knew about it but me. Tasse Thuestire I hadn't used the Gaelic I learned in school ever since we moved back here. Most of what I know now are basic greetings. I dust off some of my old textbooks. One had a glossary in the back. I translate the phrase, Tasse Thuestire, It's upstairs. Something did happen to me. I'm a doctor. I just met a man who is literally falling apart. Written by Liz Ferking. I had never seen a condition which even resembled the condition this man was affected with. While I haven't yet I am certain that if I was to check all the medical records in the world, I'd find no trace of it. I hope that I am wrong, but then again, there is also the hope that another doctor has had some experience with the disease. If so, there's no question in my mind that he or she is already working on a cure. Of course, there is also the possibility that there is both no such doctor or medical record. That would mean the disease is new and unknown, and the cure would be a long way off. And with that comes the question, 
how many will suffer before the cure is found. But I couldn't worry about that now. I had to, first and foremost, worry about my patient. I knew from the moment I saw him that he needed a hospital, not a clinic. Yes, I know I was a mere clinic doctor and not a hospital doctor. As such, the validity of my judgment could be in question, but even a non-doctor could tell he needed to go to a hospital. The man, quite frankly, looked like a zombie. Multiple chunks of flesh were missing from his arms, legs, and head. These chunks were too large and deep to have been the result of a flesh-eating virus. He was also profusely bleeding from these open wounds. That was all I saw before I had to stumble over to the front desk. Once I reached it, I asked my secretary, Grace, to call 911 for the man sitting in the corner. She, at first, gave me a quizzical look. My first thought at seeing this look was that the man I had seen was a hallucination. This thought caused me to look towards the corner and at the man again. Grace followed my gaze. Once she noticed the man, I heard her gasp, grab the phone, and immediately dial 911. She then began talking with the 911 dispatcher about the man. As I continued to look at the man, I understood why she hadn't noticed him before. The man seemed incredibly calm and quiet despite his condition. He was reading a magazine that he had gotten from the table. Said magazine, as you can expect, was covered in the blood that was dripping from his face. The blood was also dripping onto the chair he was sitting in and onto the floor. I made a mental note to thoroughly disinfect the area later. But as I watched this happening, I realized that the blood that was falling seemed quite too thick. For a few moments, I couldn't figure out why. Then I saw a piece of flesh near a missing chunk on his head fall off and land on the floor. My god, his very flesh was falling from his bones. Just then, the man sensed that I was gazing at him. He then turned his hole-filled face towards me. I froze and nearly gasped at the sight. He looked me up and down and smiled. Ah, hello, doctor, he said. Hello, I said, collecting myself. Have you, uh, made an appointment? No. Uh, why not? I don't have insurance. Then why are you here? I just thought that I could ask you a quick question and then I'll be on my way. Alright. What is it? Can you tell me what it is that I have? What? I want to know what I have so that I can look it up online and treat it at home. Well, actually I don't know that, sir. But you're a doctor, are you not? Yes. That means that you have knowledge of all medical diseases, right? Well, not all of them. Doctors are discovering new diseases all the time, and to be honest, I've never seen a disease like yours before. The man's expression quickly soured. My people skills kicked in, and I began working on appeasing him. Uh, But don't worry, I said. I'm only a clinic doctor, so I've seen far less than other doctors. 
It's possible that another doctor may have more knowledge of what you have than I do. We've called the hospital. What? The man yelled. And they're sending someone over. I'm sure that even if they don't have knowledge of this disease, they can still help you more than we can here. You're lying. I beg your pardon? You're lying. You know what it is. You just want me to pay thousands of dollars to find out. I... I assure you, sir, I'm only trying to help you. No, you're not. You only want money. All that doctors want these days is money. They don't care about helping people anymore. Sir, please, calm down, sir. I'm leaving. He stood up and began walking towards the door. Sir, I don't think you should be doing that. We don't know how contagious... But he had already made it through the doors, leaving a trail of blood and flesh in his wake. I was told later by Grace that the paramedics had followed the blood and found that it ended at a parking space. No doubt the man had gotten into his car and driven it away somewhere. Hopefully that somewhere is a remote location. I've kept my eyes and ears on the news for anything regarding the man or his disease. So far, I haven't heard or seen anything, and I hope, desperately hope, that I never hear or see anything again. Okay, I hope you all enjoyed tonight's episode. Thank you all so much for uh, listening to it. And uh, if you'd like to support this podcast, as always, I would really appreciate it if you would check out my Patreon link. For as little as a dollar a month, you get access to ad-free narrations. For $2, you get on-screen credits at the end of every video. For 5 you get an on-screen shout-out once a month. And uh, there are even some higher tiers as well that you can check out if you'd like. All of your support helps out immensely, and I cannot thank all of you enough. Please subscribe if you haven't already, make sure to give this video a like, and uh, follow me on Twitter as well, at ClancyPasta. And yeah, with that all out of the way, I hope you all have a great rest of the night. Thanks for listening, and have a good one. Cheers. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's story. If you did, make sure to check out more of the author's work in the episode description, and go to youtube.com slash ClancyPasta to hear new episodes first. And if you'd like your story featured in an episode, feel free to email it to clancypastastories at gmail.com. You can always get your creepy cool merch at teespring.com slash stores slash clancypastastore. And I hope you all have a great night. Cheers. <laughs>